Free Will makes TV and streaming advertising work. As part of Comcast Advertising's family of brands, Free Will connects the entire industry, offering buyers and sellers the most direct path to supply and demand. This unified platform creates benefits for all, including greater access to inventory, more transparency into transactions, better control over pricing, and higher returns on investment. Get started today at freewill.com. That's F-R-E-E-W-H-E-E-L.com. This week on Next in Media, I spoke with Mark McKee. He's the general manager at Comcast Freewheel. Mark and I talked about how Freewheel has evolved over the past decade since it was acquired by Comcast and why its job is harder than ever these days. Mark also talked about why the ad market for CTV, despite remaining red hot, has some real challenges ahead of it with regards to transparency, inventory overloads, and of course, lots of bad ad experiences. Let's get started. Welcome to Next Media. I'm Mike Shields. I'm here with my guest, Mark McKee, the general manager at Freewheel. Hey, Mark. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to talk to you because I think Freewheel is in a really interesting place and you've been there a while. I, I, we've talked over the years. I want to say I want to say Freewheel has been part of Comcast almost a decade. Is that right? It's getting close. I think it'd be good to just catch up people up on your, your role there. And then I want to get into what's the company's strategy and the mission and where things are headed. Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, my name is Mark McKee, I general manager of Freewheel. But Freewheel is a, a global company focused on delivering technology to buyers and sellers across the ecosystem globally. And what's most important about that is our focus is, yes, we have great tech as far as ad serving and monetization capabilities, but really the focus of the company and what I'm charged with is how do I help our publishing community connect more effectively with the buy side? and do that in the most direct way possible. Right. So, okay, a bunch of things to ask you about there. Because, you know, I think free will when I initially, and it's funny, like this is way before CTV, we, we talk about CTV, but it was ahead of its time. It was about ad serving, or I think it was, but it was really like making sure ads ran at the right time and making sure that Coke's not next to Pepsi. And, you know, that was that was the early mission, I think. What what is would have been the various, I, now you've, you've gotten into, um, you know, various marketplaces and other 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 products and missions. Can it, can you got, walk us through the evolution of maybe your time there and the and the, the company's mission changing and, and expanding? Sure. I mean, as you mentioned, we still are focused on delivering ads and allowing for publishers and, and any kind of content owner and distributor to ensure that they can do exactly what you said. How do I serve the ads that are relevant to the audiences and do that in a way that is compliant with both regulation, but also at the same time, making sure that competitive separation is a must have. How do I make sure and ensure that ads are always being served? What has happened though, as an evolution is that was back in the days where streaming wasn't a real thing yet. At best, it was web streaming. Yeah. You're talking about web video, really not, not maybe some BOD. Exactly. And so the world has changed quite a bit. Um, so that's one thing that's kind of evolved Two, the advent of more advanced targeting in audience and identity has become something that's certainly changed and transformed the ecosystem quite a bit. I think the last piece is programmatic didn't exist. And so uh, almost 100% of all ads that were being served by Freewill were done in a direct IO type of fashion, Yeah, which is the buyer and the seller had an agreement. The publisher or distributor would go in and type into the system, here's the ad, get the creative, 
and that was how it ran. Right. There wasn't that much inventory. Really, you always heard about shortages and really high prices because it was only, it was still really early. And it was we're talking premium publishers only for the most part in the beginning. Correct. And so we, we still focus on the premium space. That is where we anchored our attention. We think that is certainly the premium nature has evolved um, into what premium means. We can certainly talk about that a bit uh, as we go through yep. this conversation. But yeah, the world has changed quite a bit. And if you think about the complexity that any publisher, any distributor has to deal with, where there are now 400 endpoints where any one piece of content can run on. And it's hard to ensure that you are managing all of those eyeballs that exist across the globe. And at the same time, can imagine how that plays out for the buy side as well. They also have to look and say, how do I deal with all of this fragmentation? I need to reach this type of audience. And so if you think about how we've evolved from that, one, we've built out uh, a lot of new audience and kind of identity capabilities to support the ecosystem uh, in our, our community. Um, the other thing we've done is really advanced on how we make the world more interoperable. And doing that, one, through new capabilities to help support monetization, but also doing integrations with people that, you know, if you looked at free will historically, you'd say, why would you integrate with perhaps a competitor? And the answer to that is, we have to do what's best for our publishers, the buy side, and we have to also do what's best for the ecosystem more broadly. And so that's kind of the philosophy we've always had. It's a philosophy that means more now than it ever has. And so that's um, how free will has been able to maintain its role in the premium ecosystem. You have this really interesting, like, you know, front row seat to the way that consumption has changed for uh, over the last 10 years, especially the last two or three. What have you seen? I imagine there is far more inventory available than ever with, you know, the emergence of all these different streaming platforms, fast platforms, et cetera. I imagine there's way more advertisers than you used to see. What are, what are some things that you, you've really you've seen evolve over the last few years in terms of viewership patterns, advertising base, advertising tactics? What's, what are some big changes you've seen? One, consumption certainly during COVID had a huge uptick in uh, streaming consumption. Content and consumption of great content has not gone away. It's not as if people are looking to enjoy great quality content, whether that be live events, which are probably the last place where you can get that huge cumulative audience all at one time. I think that the kind of increase in that importance has played out as we look at what many companies are doing. We have the the premium publishers that have always had a stake in delivering live events, but now we see people like Amazon, Apple moving into those spaces as well. So one, one is that just that huge consumption increase. As a result of that consumption increase, we've seen a hybrid of subscription-based and ad-supported ways in which to consume that content from a consumer perspective. And right now, I'd say we're more in the hybrid HVOD category, which is there's a combination of, yes, a subscription, but maybe a different tailored ad load that goes along with that. And so we've seen all of that evolve as publishers and advertisers are looking to reach audiences. And then we see as a result of that an increase, uh, a healthy increase in continued ad avails or impressions that are available. And that's on a global scale. In the U.S., um, first half of the year increased 6% as far as ad inventory um, within largely the streaming category. And then in addition to that, we've seen about 15% internationally. They're a little further behind as far as kind of that growth in streaming, but certainly they are on a, a rocket ship as it relates to adopting and embracing new forms of consumption. And we, we should probably be clear who we're talking. You're talking about premium publishers. Who are some of your customers? And I, I think we're, I, we're, I'm correct in saying we're not 
we're not including the wall gardens in this conversation, right? When you talk about these, these macro numbers like YouTube, et cetera. Well, no, I mean, we, we do work, work with, you know, Google very closely. We work with Amazon and Roku and, and all these as a result of our publishers and how important those vehicles are for distribution of their content. Um, but really, we are talking about the premium publishers. It's the likes of Warner, NBC, Paramount, those type of customers globally. It's the companies like TF1, uh, like Sky. And so as we think about from a global perspective, that concept of premium exists globally. And uh, that's really the, the area of focus that we've always provided. They have historically been high investment in the content that they either procure or develop. And they are focused on brand quality, transparency. And really, when you think about it, the, yes, the vehicle by which consumption is evolving into streaming, but the, the standards that a TV publication focuses on and what a TV advertiser expects has not changed. Right. Speaking of what maybe what has maybe changed or not, you, you know, you said early on you, you most of the of the business was direct directly sold. Mm-hmm. I think there's still um, as much as as programmatic has come into television CTV. There's still a, a little bit of a debate about whether it's going to be entirely biddable someday and self serve versus some kind of controlled execution private marketplace kind of ecosystem. What have you seen there over time, and where do you maybe think that is headed? Well, if you look at where we are today, around 70% of the premium publishers, again, in aggregate, still are in a direct sold way of transacting. Oh God. Leaving around 30% tied to programmatic. And of that programmatic, the large majority of that programmatic is still in a programmatic guaranteed type deal. So essentially automating the IO, which works for publishers, certainly works for the buy side to get a little more granularity and flexibility into how they use their audiences and uh, procure that inventory. And then obviously we've done a lot of work with many of the key buying platforms, TradeDesk as an example, working very closely with them to ensure that what they need to do to serve their agency and advertiser customers can be supported and facilitated with uh, the way in which the supply side transacts. You know, I like to say, you know, it's a, a maybe a bad cliche, but you know, if, if you know, America runs on Duncan, the premium video ecosystem runs on free will. And so that's kind of how we've had to focus our attention. That's memorable. I like that. You mentioned, you, you gave me a good segue there. You mentioned working with the trade desk. I want to take a little bit of a left turn. You, you a company you acquired a couple of years ago, Beeswax is also you know, another pr- important programmatic buying platform and, and other, it does other things. Catch us up on what, what that transaction was about. How have you integrated the company into, into free will and Comcast and maybe what you, where it's headed? Absolutely. So end of 2020, we acquired Beeswax. It's a phenomenal platform. It is really designed similar to Freewheel in the sense of we create a platform that allows our customers to go and do great things to differentiate themselves in the world, Um, certainly with advertisers, with their audiences, and with the content that they create and distribute. Beeswax has that same philosophy. A lot of people use beeswax to build their own products to build their own capabilities and unique offerings in market and so we saw that we saw that as a a really important opportunity but also as we saw this really rapid shift to programmatic we knew that in order to serve the buy side uh, appropriately but specifically serve the sell side appropriately we needed not just to have great ad serving and monetization capabilities we needed to have great tools that could allow for a more direct connection to the buy side. 
And so this is just one option uh, of many that the industry might use in order to transact programmatically. Um, obviously, the Trade Desk is one that has done really phenomenal job in shifting to the CTV space. Um, Beeswax 2 is really great at, again, focusing on really building, one, a platform in which companies that can move into the CTV space can now create you know, more attribution, more performance-based offerings to the ecosystem uh, still in the video space. And then two, it's a way for um, companies, even agencies in some cases, to build really some special kind of capabilities that differentiate what they do and how they do it for their customers. When a company like Comcast acquires a Freewheel or a Beeswax, I think many might make the assumption, well, that's that's aimed at locking up part of the market and locking others out, or that's going to be only for you know, ABCU properties, for example, you know, keep that stuff out. That hasn't played out their way. It seems like that's very deliberate. Why could, why, that could have gone wrong and it didn't. What, what happened there? No, and I, I think what Comcast has done a phenomenal job at is they are focused on acquiring companies that allow them to help the ecosystem continue to grow and build. I use Freewheel as an example. What benefits Comcast is that there's a healthy advertising market within TV. And I use TV broadly, uh, all forms of TV. That's the focus. Um, and they've been a great job of, you know, certainly being a support, but also allowing us to serve all of our co customers that exist. Beeswax, same thing. They have a very specific kind of uniqueness, which is they have bidder as a service. It's kind of the, the model that they've marketed themselves as, which is they have a bidder. It's very, very sophisticated. It allows you to do really custom things, but it's not, it's, it's creating optionality for the ecosystem. And so when we look at how any publisher might monetize their inventory, we know it's not just through direct sold campaigns. We know it's not just through a DSP. We know it has to include, you know, the hundreds of different demand sources that need to be able to support and monetize the inventory that a publisher has. And so that kind of focus or priority of being interoperable and serving the ecosystem and not forgetting that we serve the publishing community and how we need to support them. It just tied really, really nicely into saying in order to serve them properly, we need to have buy side capabilities, both directly and indirectly. All right, let's maybe take a step back and talk about, you know, we're getting to that end of year time where we start thinking about predictions and big industry trends. What do you think what are, we're, we're, I know I want to ask you about free wheels focus coming into 2024, but where do you think the industry is headed? What are some larger trends you're monitoring? I think the most important one that the industry has to focus on, and it all ladders up uh, to a number of different initiatives, is how do we make the connection between the buy and sell side much more direct? Right now, as you can imagine, um, with the complexity that exists, there's a lot of hops, a lot yeah. of hops between the buyer and the seller and you know, everyone talks about it in the industry, oh, the ad tax. Well, yes, that's one piece of it. But if something's adding value, you, you, you don't mind paying a tax for, for value, uh, regardless of what side it's on. But what is truly important is the fact that we have to close the distance between the buy and sell side. What Freewell's focused on, you know, I'll use another analogy, but, you know, you know that saying of as the crow flies, um, you know, it's always the most direct way in which to kind of get to from point A to point B. Right. Uh, that's exactly what Freewheel is focused on. How do we ensure that what a buyer is looking to do and what a seller is looking to do is done in the fastest, 
most transparent way possible. As an industry, I think that is uh, a must-have as we go and certainly see increases in biddable programmatic transactions, um, you know, more endpoints um, for consumption of that content, more demand generation, um, whether that be through other SSPs, other third parties, certainly DSPs and direct sold. And so that is something that we are 100% focused on at Freewheel. And then as a result of that, it really has a, a pretty big knock-on effect. It's okay, well, if you're going to create that uh, more direct connection, what are the benefits? From a consumer perspective, there's a lot of opportunity to, when we see BAST and the growth of BAST channels overall as a category, that user experience is not great. Those, those hops are causing problems with frequency and, and repetition and all kinds of stuff. Yep. And things of that nature. And you can just certainly imagine that as you think about live where you have, you know, 200 milliseconds to make a decision. You don't have the luxury of, or that ad perishes. You don't have the, the luxury of, um, you know, waiting 700 milliseconds to, yep. you know, have several auctions. And so from, from that perspective, you know, we think there's a huge consumer benefit, um, which is if, if you look at any of, you know, just take the fast category as a whole, you know, 25% of fast avails today go unmonetized. Wow. When, when I sit on the couch and I do, this is kind of a, uh, a little thing that I, I often do. I sit with a notebook next to me and I just watch a bunch of fast channels, all, all, as many as I can. And I just look for the ad experience and what is that, what does that feel like? You know, in some cases I look at some of these, you know, fast channels and the ad breaks are four minutes long. Not a great experience. Which is kind of kind of not the idea of streaming. It's it's, it's against all, you know everything we've kind of preached about the, what we have to, how we have to treat consumers as medium. Correct. And, and just think about the knock-on effect, right? Okay, I go there and I see that I'm watching that content. If I'm a publisher, you know that might lead to greater churn. No question about yeah. it. Those yeah. subscribers or you know loyal um, kind of consumers might leave and go somewhere else. Uh, the second thing, from an advertiser perspective, that is not a great. It's one, probably not very effective, but at the same time, it's also not a great uh, experience for an, an advertiser as well, where their brand is being cluttered, but also think more specifically about the experience that creates for a consumer. Yeah, you call it, you're you're being associated with irritation. Not not a good. That's a great way to frame it. And so, right. you know, we think that having that more direct connection helps uh, on all fronts. It's one of those win-win scenarios where. Consumers certainly will benefit. Um, the value of that exposure for an advertiser will increase, and then the value of that audience from a publisher will increase as well. Why do you think I'm, I'm struck by that number? Is it? Yeah, you know, I've seen that. You've seen in the past. We've all watched like a, like a sporting event, and they'll have like a local break, and there's no ad, and it's kind of weird. But I understand the complication. Why fast sounds like it should be simple in terms of filling all that inventory? Is it because of the immaturity of the landscape and the ad tech is still being worked out or is it is there not enough demand why do you think that number is so big there's a, a couple factors and it's one of the reasons why um this summer at can we launched our ad experience lab on a on a global front just because it is a fast growing category fast overall but streaming yep. more generally is a, a fast growing category and as these new distribution channels uh become available it's a great vehicle for any distribution of content to take place. Yep. So the the content distribution is faster than the consideration or thought for what is the ad experience going to look like. Interesting. That's probably at it, at its fundamental. It's it's growing very quickly. 
we have an opportunity to create a channel and, and distribute our content, uh, create a connection with those consumers. And then after the fact, it's okay. Figure that what, other stuff out later. Yeah, what's the ad experience going to look like? Okay. Right. Um, and so what we've historically seen is it's much more of a replication of what they've done perhaps in other mediums um, and linear and carrying that over. You know, that could work um, in some cases, depending on the content. Um, but in many cases, you have to really preserve. It's not just about serving 10 15s uh, back yeah. to back to back. That's not a great experience. You need that mix. Um, no. And so it's a balance of the length, the ad load, but also the kind of the mix of those ads altogether. How, outside of what we've been talking about with the supply path optimization and customer experience, are there any other big obstacles the industry needs to kind of tackle next year that are on top of the line for you? One of the things that we've been working on most recently is working with the VAB to bring a higher standard to what buyers should be asking of any inventory in which they operate and, and buy against. I think it's with the advent of programmatic, I think there's been that lack of transparency, the lack of standards, uh, the lack of quality that has really played a huge role in some of the um, challenges that many buyers are faced with today. And so one of the things we're doing with the VAB is what you'd expect from TV should be the expectation that you have from any inventory that you buy. Um, and I think that's one of those, it's, I know it sounds simple, but when you think about a buyer and seller relationship, it is a direct trusted relationship. They understand what they buy and they, they know and they can rely on the quality by which um, they've done that deal. That standard or expectation has to be held regardless of the transaction type um, for the entire ecosystem. And I know a number of you know companies are doing things that are a little maybe grading their own homework or you know a little less transparent than yep. really is it the expectation of uh, that TV community, uh, both on the buy and sell side. Right, because that is the effect of of potentially you know devaluing the whole thing when you have those outliers that are. That are you know not, not not prioritizing what you're describing. Correct. What do you what do you think are maybe some areas of un, of growth or untapped opportunities coming up in the next year? This one you'll say, thanks, Mark. I knew that, but I do <laughs> think uh, programmatic is probably the thing that still has a tremendous runway. Yeah. Um, now the thing that we have to make sure is with complexity, um, both on the publisher side as well as on the buy side. And with the advent of new ways in which to transact, we can't, um, we have to continue to make it simple. You know, the antidote to the complexity that we live in is simplicity, is more direct connections. And so if it works for TV, regardless of it being programmatic or not, that same trust, that same relationships needs to be um, a focal area. But I do think programmatic still has a huge run rate. As I mentioned, only 30% is transacted by and large in a programmatic fashion, there's a lot of opportunity as we think about live and how do you bring programmatic yep. transactions to the live sporting events. Um, uh, that's one area of, of focus. And then just overall, um, the transactions that are taking place, it's a way in which to work um, that's using technology. It shouldn't kind of derail how and what a relationship between a buyer and seller looks like. What about free will specifically? Are there are there areas that you're really focusing on the coming year? You've touched on a lot of a lot of different aspects. Are there things that we should look for you coming up come, coming up in the next few months, years? We are already global in the major TV markets um, today, um, but we'll continue to focus on 
expanding our, our global reach um, in support of the publishing community that also is going in a more global fashion. That's okay. one big area. The second big area is with all of that, how do we continue to make sure that we are more directly connecting the buyers and sellers? That is through partnerships, you know, things like the Trade Desk, um, through new offerings, things like Beeswax to the buy side, and then certainly um, through other partnerships that would exist, um, whether that be SSPs or um, other buying vehicles. And so we'll continue to do that. Um, and the last piece I'd say is just on data and identity. I think we are just in the early days of how and what um, the meaning of identity and audience will mean as we think about target, targeting and measurement. And so bringing the most privacy um, protected and regulatory um, uh, supportive solutions into that identity space is one of the areas we are absolutely focused with. Um, doing partnerships with companies like Snowflake is a way in which we can do exactly that. That's interesting. Do you have a sense, I always wonder about this, how much of the market right now is quote unquote advanced television, whether it's like using clean rooms to target people or just better uses of data-driven television advertising, is that still a pretty small amount of what you see or is it or is it growing quickly? It's, it's growing very quickly. Um, from a whole, we see almost, I'd say the majority of impressions are, are targeted in some fashion, whether that be contextual okay. or audience. Um, and we see certainly with programmatic, that is just a, an increase. Um, and then we do also know that every company, um, every business is creating a version of their own first party data, um, their own IDs and where free will's focus is, all right, the world is going to be fragmented. People are going to bring their unique secret sauce to how and what they believe is most powerful. Or is it going to be one ID or one there, way yeah, of Yeah, and so it. we support, we have to support them all. And we need ultimately uh, a, to allow a publisher to speak to a buyer, whatever that buyer might be, and say, yes, I can support you and I have great visibility into how I can deliver against what you're asking. And that's really has to be the focus for free will on um, building technologies to do exactly that. Mark, a couple more from me. You got any, um, got any big predictions for 2024 for the industry, either free will related or not? Well, I'd say one, I think the programmatic uh, growth is going to continue to to be one of substantial growth over the next few years. Um, the second thing I'd say in the future is you will see linear look more like digital. Um, we've done some great work uh, most recently with AMC where we were allowing and enabling uh, addressable technology or addressable linear to be transacted programmatically with the trade desk. So that was an industry first where we're truly doing that. And so I think what you'll start to see is there's going to be certainly more automated ways in which to transact. And then the pool of inventory that's enabled for that transaction is going to grow quickly. Um, I think linear is that you know, big opportunity immediately, but we'll see that yeah. as we look to gaming and other forms of you know premium inventory, premium experiences that will come into this programmatic uh, window. And it really does with the the focus on audience, it's going to be more about the pool of inventory and how it can transact, provided it checks the quality bucket. Um, and that's going to be a, a very, very important piece. And I think Fast will continue to play a, a much uh, needed and important role in growing that pool of inventory in which to connect with consumers. All right. Those are three pretty good ones. Mark, I was told, occasionally we'll do a fun fact in the, on these episodes. I was told you've got a good one. Anything you want to share with us? Well, I don't know if I have a good one, uh, but I mean, I... I, I I was asked, what, what are you doing these days? You know, outside of like family and work, um, the thing I started to do most recently, I was a 
poli sci and theater major. Uh, I probably use more of the theater than the poli sci in my career. <laughs> but uh, you know, the thing I started to do is go back and read uh, the plays I was in um, as an adult. Uh, and it's funny, I'm re- reading Twelfth Night right now. It's almost like the I could see as I was reading through it, you know, you get fast forward to today, you know, like, oh, you know, this could be, this is like the, the first rom-com, uh, essentially. <laughs> um, so I've been going back and reading a, a few of those. Um, I just finished uh, Picasso at the La Pana Gilles, uh, which was written by Steve Martin. Um, and then I'm on Twelfth Night right now. Wow. This is not unexpected. These are firsts. Uh, we've never discussed Shakespeare in the show, so that, that's that's a fun one. Um, Mark, great conversation. We'd love to talk again down the road, but thanks for your time here. As always, thanks so much for the time. A big thanks to my guest this week, Free Will's Mark McKee, and of course, my partners at Comcast Advertising. If you like this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time for more on what's next in media. <laughs>